y'all love you. I love the chaos in this room a few moments ago. And I just want to tell you how glad I'm, I am that you're here today. I know for some of you, church, on Sunday mornings is something you do. It's something you've always done. You wake up, you get ready, you go to church. I know for some people it's a little harder than that. And some of you may be carrying some pain in your life or some things, and you, you sometimes wonder when you go into a group, are you going to be judged, or what are people going to think about you? And for parents with small children, I am just glad you're here today. Now, I've always had a job in my adult life where Sundays is a work day for me. I'm here no matter what. But So a lot of times, Casey was the single parent, getting the kids ready, uh, bringing them to church. And there were times we'd go home from church, and Casey was like, I got nothing out of today. I couldn't make it through a song without a kid hitting my rear, asking for Cheerios, or taking their shoes off, and throwing them two pews in front of me. And just for parents with small children, I'm just, I'm glad you're here. For single people, I'm glad you're here. I have not been single in my adult life. So I don't know what it's like to step into a church like this, not knowing where you sit or how you're going to be embraced. And for, for widows, I don't know what it's like for you to step into a place and knowing that questions are going to probably come your way of poor thing or how are you. I'm just, I'm just glad that all of you are here. I want to start in John chapter 5 today. And this isn't where I want to camp out all morning, but it's where I want to begin in John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, in verse 2, it says this. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And in verse 5 it says this. One of those people there, a bunch of sick people were at this pool. One who was there had been an invalid. For how long? Somebody say it. For 38 years. Right, an invalid, somebody who, who needs care, like you can't take care of yourself. So the pool of Bethesda was a place surrounded by a bunch of people who couldn't take care of themselves, and somehow Jesus ends up there. Jesus goes to that pool, and I think Jesus knew exactly where he was going and who was going to be there, and he's there. Now, this man who had been sick for 38 years, we don't know if this person was born in this condition, so he's around 38 years old. We don't know if there had been an accident in his life or an illness that left him in this condition, but almost four decades, 38 years, this is the condition he's been in. Now, for somebody to be an invalid for 38 years at the Pool of Bethesda, you have to know, like, this guy, he's a survivor. Somehow, he knew how to survive. Because if you've been in that condition for 38 years, I wonder, like, have you lost hope? What is your hope? Like, was there anything in him that thought that things were going to get better? At any point, like, were things going to get better? Was he ever going to be healed? Or had he, had he come to the conclusion, like, this is going to probably be who I am and what I am for the rest of my life. So there's nothing to hope for anymore. But even if that's where he was in life, he was a survivor. He knew, he knew the connections he needed in his life to get him where he needed to go, to give him the food he needed, to get him the water he needed. So for 38 years, he had been in this condition but had he lost any hope and then in verse 6 Jesus asks him a question and what we're told is Jesus was aware Jesus learned about his condition Jesus learned about his condition he saw the guy lying there and Jesus asked him a question I think it's one of the most brilliant questions Jesus asked and Jesus says do you want to be made well do you want to be healed which seems like such an obvious answer to the question, but if you had been in a condition for 38 years and you had been a survivor and that was your condition and maybe you didn't have hope of things ever getting better again, is your answer yes? Because with healing comes responsibility. And here's a guy who had 
now had all these practices in his life and the habits in his life that now he just surrounded himself with the connections he needed to take care of himself, like to get him the food he needed and the water he needed and where he needed to be. And even if he had been begging for 38 years, these are the routines he had set up in his life. These are the habits he had formed. And now Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And maybe the answer isn't as obvious as we wish it would be because this guy didn't answer Jesus with a yes. And he also didn't answer with a no. He answered with his condition. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And the guy says, like, this is who I am. And apparently whenever the water stirs, and we're not sure exactly what happened with that, but apparently when water stirred, like whoever was the first one in, there would be some kind of healing power of God that would come. And for him, he's saying, for 38 years, I'm not fast enough. I can't move quick enough. I don't have any hope that I can get to where healing is. And in the moment, Jesus still healed him. Pretty much is a way to say, when you can't get to healing, the healer can still get to you. Like when you're too weak in your life to get to where you think healing can be, Jesus is so good at getting to you. So what I have to offer to you today is going to bless, be a blessing to some of your lives right now where you are. You are in need of healing. You are in need of rest. It can only come from God. And for some of you, you may be at a really good place, and this is one of those sermons you just need to file away in the back pocket, put it in your purse, because the day's going to come when you're going to need a word from God that speaks over your heavy burdens and your weariness and some of the pain you carry. And it may be a word from God today that you need to use to minister to someone else where it is as easy as you sending three verses today to a friend that can introduce them to what Jesus has to offer to them. And maybe, maybe, this, is, maybe this is for you. I, I hurt my back back in March. All right, my back went out for a few days. This happens every two to three years. Every time it happens to me, it's because of my own ignorance. I got over to a workout. What happened back in the end of March is I was in the flower bed. We were going to rearrange a few things. And I needed to get some bushes out of the flower bed. So uh, even though I lift weights some, I don't lift a lot of weights that have that much resistance. So I'm trying to get bushes out of the flower bed. Roots were stuck, and now the competitive spirit took over. And as I was trying to pull the bushes and get them out, let's just say I won. The bushes came out, but two days later, I felt the impact. And three days after my back went out, I was on an 11-hour flight to go to Israel to help lead a trip. A day before I left to get on that plane, it got worse. I was in the bathroom. I took my shirt off. I looked in the mirror, and I don't do this every day, all right? This isn't something I do every day, but I was standing there, and as I did, I noticed that my body was contorted. It was all crooked, I wasn't, I didn't look straight in the mirror, like, and, and I blinked a few times, and sure enough, this had never happened to me, and any of the times my back has gone out. And I went in the living room, and there's Casey, and there's the two boys, and I said, look at me, do I look weird to y'all? And thinking that an, <laughs> a response of empathy would come from them, of, honey, are you okay? Or the boy's dad, are you all right? They just laughed. Like, it was, it was a magic trick. Like, I, I learned how to do this, and I sat there like, for hours trying to like get my body set right again and it just it just it just wouldn't work so then I did what Dr. Randy teaches us to never do and I started googling what my condition was and <laughs> online you can find an article for everything right and basically I found out I had six weeks to live like that was it I have a week and a half in Israel I would come home at four and a half weeks with family and you and that was it all right a few days later, I was fine. I got back from my trip. I decided to go to a physical therapist, not because I was in need of therapy in the moment. I just wanted to know, like, what are some stretches you would give me in my life? And he walked me through 
the fact that now that I'm 41 years old, part of taking care of my body is I need to prepare myself and stretch before a lot of activities I do. Before you mow the yard, you need to, you need to do a few of these stretches. And as, he talked, as I talked about, what often happens when my bag goes out every few years, he just said, oh, look, here's something you need to know. At the age of 41, there's, there's some weight you can't pull like you used to be able to pull back when you were 25. And there's some weight you can't carry like maybe you used to be able to carry. And little did he know he was writing a sermon for me in the moment. Because that's what preachers, pastors, teachers do. Like we're just constantly looking for information that's going to make its way into a message. And there's some weight that you're carrying in your life that you can carry it. You can do it. And there's some weight you're carrying in your life that you can't do this alone. So the next few weeks, I want to talk about empathy. It's not a word that show up, shows up in Scripture, but it's an idea that does. And it's about leaning in. Like, how do we lean in? How do we live life where we exercise that muscle of empathy so that when we're in conversations with people, we're not always crossing our arms or back in a way, but we're, we're leaning in a little bit. We're, we're pressing in. A couple of days ago, we hosted a leadership conference here, and John Acuff, a pastor in Nashville, he talked about empathy, and he said this, empathy is understanding what someone needs and acting on it. It's understanding what they need, and you're going to act on it. Brene Brown, who's done probably the best work about empathy in the last 10 to 20 years. She's written a ton on this, has made millions and millions of dollars on her work with empathy. She talks about how empathy is connection. And connection is why we are here. We are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives, and without it, there is suffering. So I want to talk about this connectedness, this connectedness to God, this connectedness to each other, this idea of what it means to lean in. So throughout all of college, undergrad and grad, I was a theology and ministry major. That's what I did. Casey was a communication major. We got married after our junior year of college, so our senior year, we're both trying to finish our degrees, and there would be times Casey would come home. She's a communication major, so she would say, okay, uh, what I hear you saying based on the nonverbals that I see from you is that apparently right now you're not happy that I would like to go eat at Taco Bell tonight because that's all we can afford. In which my response would be something like, I don't know how you get that based on my nonverbals. Your read on my nonverbals isn't always right, but I do think that some barbecue would have been better tonight. All right, so, so reading these nonverbals, because nonverbals say a lot. Your nonverbals say sometimes more than what is actually coming out of our mouths. So there's nowhere I would rather preach than right here at Sycamore View. No other stage, no other platform in the world. But I got to tell you, when I get the chance to preach in an all-black church, Verbal and nonverbal, I know if people are connecting with my message or not. Because that, right? <laughs> right? For they're leaning in, and I know if I'm connecting. I know if people are engaged because of the amen or because of the preacher brother or give us a little bit more. I know if I'm not connecting because I may hear something like, can you say it in another way? Meaning that whatever you just said didn't make you know, no sense to nobody. So you need to rephrase that in a way that we understand what you're trying to communicate to us right now. There may be a hand in the air or a point or a thumbs up or a high five with someone next to you. It's not just the crossed arms and the Blake stairs trying to want wonder what people are thinking or if they are engaged. When I went through a couple of classes back in college, training how to be in counseling situations, they would often teach us about our nonverbal. So when you're sitting with someone who is in need of care, they're, they're sharing some of their heart with you, you need to pay attention. 
Like, don't try to create a lot of barriers between you and someone else. So watch out how you, like, cross your legs or cross your arms. Or, like, one of these right here says a lot to somebody who's sharing what's going on in their life. Like, rolling your eyes. Like, this stuff says a lot. you got to pay attention to your nonverbals because they communicate so much. So everybody just give me a little lean in. Let me just see it. Just lean. I don't care if your back hurts. You can just lean a little bit, right? And in your life, when you're in conversations with people this week, for you to take a posture of leaning in and not backing away, of leaning in and not looking at your Apple Watch, of leaning in and not looking at your phone, just leaning in, it costs you nothing. And what it says to people is, right now you matter. Right now I'm listening. Right now, there's nowhere in this world that I need to be, but right here with whatever it is you are sharing with me. It may cost you two minutes of your life. Other than that, it's not going to cost you anything. And here, here's what I love. This is what God does for you. That's what God does for us. God leans in. You don't know what God's like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus reveals to you what the heart of God is like. And Jesus leaned in constantly. Tell me more. I'm fully present. I'm here with you. Even if it's someone who disagreed with him or was coming at him in some kind of way, it wasn't a backward posture. It was, okay, I'm going to lean into this moment just to see what God will do. There's only one time in the Bible that we are told that God is rich in something. Only one time. And it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And what it says about God being rich in something is, but because of his great love, because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in, what does it say? Rich in mercy. And the mercy of God has no limits. So as God leans in, God is leaning in because we serve a loving father, a merciful father. God is leaning in. Now for us, there are limits in a lot of, a lot of places in life. Have you ever been through a parking garage and you have that limit where, uh, look, check this out, all right? Listen, I drive a Honda Civic Hybrid now, so I don't ever worry about these things. When I started driving a Honda Civic about a decade ago, this is when all my family members and friends in Texas said, that is the moment that your Texas citizenship has been stripped from you. It was... It wasn't when I started eating pork barbecue. It wasn't when we moved to Memphis. It was when you started driving what they call a suppository on wheels. That is when you, you lost your Texas citizenship. But when I was a youth intern and I would drive 15 passenger vans and I would go into a parking garage, I would think about these things. I had to think, whatever I'm driving right now, will it fit under that? I'm sure you've been in elevators before that probably look, you saw a sign something like this, right? Four persons max, one horse, 5,050 bananas, 6,666 hen eggs, 2,941 pigeons, 88 haddocks, and 10,526 nickels. Just something where there was a limit. And I know you've been in elevators before, maybe pre-COVID, because we do elevators a little differently now. When you were in an elevator that was packed, and you're like, look, I'm not calling anybody big who's on this elevator. I'm just doing the math. Like, I'm not sure if what's on here actually fits the limits that that sign says there. You've driven down roads, and you've seen signs like this. I drive a Honda Civic. I don't really pay attention to that. I'm pretty sure... I'm fine, but when a bridge breaks on I-40, maybe you pay attention to what are some of the weight limits. And, and I'm sure any of you who have traveled before, this right here gives more people travel anxiety than TSA lines, right? 
the luggage I'm about to submit, like, is it going to fit? Like, you worry about these things. So some of you have traveling scales at your house where you put it on there to, to weigh your luggage, or you've done like me before where you get on the scale, you get depressed just for a moment, you get off, you pick up the luggage, and you get back on, and you do the math to know, okay, does this fit under 50, uh, 50 pounds, or if you're on, you know, Spirit or Allegiant Airlines, I think it's 40, all right? Their limit's a little lower. And when it comes in life, there are these limits to what you can carry. And when it comes to the burdens we carry in our lives, we are so prone to like push the limits and step over the limits. And, and there's some things you can carry that you need to carry in your life. Like it's part of just being a responsible human being, but there are a lot of things that we carry that we cannot carry alone. So there's only one time in the gospel where Jesus says something about his own heart. And it's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. These are the three verses I want to spend time with for the next few minutes. Three verses that I hope will mean something to you that you can file away because there's going to come a time in your life you're going to need them or maybe this is the message you need to give to someone else in your life just to bless them today. Just three verses. It's the only time Jesus says something about his own heart. And in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want to stay on that screen right there just for a moment. All right, because I think you can, I think you know what most of those words mean. Like the Greek's not going to help you a ton with, with a lot of these words. I mean, weary means weary. It, it actually means becoming weary. So the weariness you read in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Uh, through 30, this is not a weariness of like you woke up one morning and you're just weary. It's those events in life have happened where they stack upon one another where weariness becomes who you are. The heavy burden is, it's those burdens you carry. I think you get that. Like there are things you carry in life, but this heavy burden also carries with it just a little bit of like, it's that task or task that are placed on you by those in authority. So for a lot of people in the first century culture, it was religious people who were placing unrealistic expectations upon people of what they needed to do to be righteous before God. So those heavy burdens you carry that are sometimes expectations placed on you by other people. The rest that is referred to by Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 29 is a rest that it's a, it's a relief from labor. It's not just did you get eight hours or nine hours of sleep last night, but it is a relief from labor. How many of you are in need of Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in your own life today? You feel weary. Heavy burdens. So I want to show you just real quick. In 28, Jesus speaks directly to people. In 29, Jesus tells us something about himself. And in both of them, it follows the same pattern. There's a command, there is a specific calling, and there is a promise. You got that? In both of them, there's going to be a command, a specific calling, and a promise. So what Jesus says in verse 28 is, come to me. It's a command. I want you to take a step. I want you to move, and I want you to come to me. The specific calling is, this is to everyone who is feeling weary or heavy burdened. So the promise of rest in Matthew 28, 11, 28, isn't just for everybody. Jesus is speaking specifically to those who are willing to say, I got heavy burdens in my life and I can't carry them alone. I'm feeling weary in my life and I just need other people to know. I'm not trying to be whiny. I just want people to know that I'm feeling weary in life. It is those who are willing to acknowledge the state they are in. So there is a command, there is a specific calling. Jesus is speaking to specific people. And the promise is, I will give you rest. 
In verse 29, there is a command, a specific calling, and a promise. And this time, it's Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a yoke. It's, a, it's an image of connectedness. And listen to this. Ultimately, what Jesus is teaching in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, Jesus is saying that if you choose to follow me and if you choose to come to me, this doesn't mean you're going to live a burden-free life. The burdens are going to be there. You just need to know you don't have to carry them alone. To have a yoke that Jesus is asking people to take upon himself isn't that Jesus is saying, I'm going to carry everything in your life for you. It's that I am going to help carry it with you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I mean, there's a specific calling. Jesus is recognizing and acknowledging to other people, this is who he is. This is what his heart is like, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And the promise is, you will find rest for your souls. So, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, the way Jesus teaches this is that you don't have to try to unburden yourself so that you can come to Jesus. You don't have to try to clean yourself up and then get to Jesus where there may be rest. It's that we come to Jesus with all of the burdens we carry in life, and through that connection, rest comes. Now, for some of you, you probably read Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, and you, you believe it. Like, this is something you would offer to someone else. If they're in need of rest, like, you would, you would text this to your friends but you may be looking at the screen right now and thinking, it just, in, a, in a way, it just seems too good to be true. Because you have tried to get rest for years. You've tried to find rest. You've tried the melatonin. You drink a glass of wine at night. You take Benadryl or NyQuil. There's something to help give you rest, and you can't find rest. And you may be thinking, so if I take this these three verses seriously, and I choose to take a step to Jesus, will Jesus hold up his end of the promise and give me the rest I need in my life? Like, do we trust that if we take that step and make that move, do we trust that rest will come? And if it comes, how would we even know if it comes? Twice we get the promise that I will give you rest. Sabbath rest is one of the Ten Commandments. I would... I think it's safe to assume out of all the Ten Commandments, it's probably the one that we kind of just toss to the side. Like the other nine we're on board with. Like you aren't supposed to kill people. You aren't supposed to cheat on your spouse. Like honor God. Like we do these things. But when it comes to Sabbath rest, like we, we don't really know what to do with that. And I can preach sermons. I think I can preach good sermons on Sabbath rest. It's just the only sermon I preach where Casey sits there like shaking her head no like the entire time. Like good content, but you don't, you don't honor any of what you just told people to do in their life. Sometimes we want rest and we think rest. We think, let's get away to the lake this weekend or go to the beach for a week or just the rest Jesus talks about and the rest Jesus promises is rest for a soul. It's not just rest for your body, though I think rest for your body is so good. Like I advocate for it. It's not just rest for your mind, though I think rest for your mind is like really good. It is rest for your soul. That the promise Jesus gives is there is a rest for you that provides a connection to God that can sustain you through everything. All right, so how does this work? And let me try to break it down like this because Jesus makes, he makes some pretty bold promises here. Like if you come to me, I will give you rest. If you take up my yoke, I will give rest to your soul. So let me break it down like this. What does it mean? Like, Jesus is going to come 50% of the way and you go 50, or Jesus comes 80 and you go 20. 
when it comes to salvation, there's not a God goes 50 and you go 50, or God goes 90 or, and you go 10. When it comes to salvation, 100% of the work of salvation has been accomplished by Jesus. You don't do any of it. Death, burial, and resurrection has provided salvation. When it comes to salvation, you trust in what Jesus has already accomplished. You believe in what Jesus has already accomplished. Jesus has done it all. But when it comes to healing and redemption and restoration, there is a move in your life that is necessary to find it. And sometimes when Jesus says, come to me, and you choose to move, like some of you may have that desperation in your life that you were willing to go as far as you need to go to meet with God. And for some of you, all you got is just a help or to fall to your knees or to reach with a hand. And I think any step to honor what it means to come to Jesus, God honors. Any move you choose to make, God's not going to say, that's not far enough. Like for you to take any move, like God, I want to live into what Jesus is teaching me in this. When Jesus has come to me, here, I'm giving, doing the best I can to come to you. Jesus is going to honor whatever movement you have to give God today. And there are a few verses that I love to come to the table with, with the bread and the cup, the Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, because it's so inviting. It's where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Like there's something inviting about the table. And I, I think back to when I grew up, when we would come to the dinner table, like there were certain rules we had to follow. Like you didn't have to come in from outside and go get squeaky clean to come to the table. But if you had been outside, if you're sweaty, like you at least need to change your shirt. You need to wash your hands. You may need to wash your face in order for you to come to the table. When it comes to stepping to a table with Jesus, coming to the table, you don't got to clean yourself up. You don't have to examine yourself to see how good you are in order to come to the table. At the table is where we, we get clean. At the table is where examination happens. At the table is where we remember everything Jesus has done to be the healer that we need. So just come to the table. But here's what we're going to do today, because I, I want nothing more than for this just to become a place of healing today. And let me just ask, this is all I'm going to ask of you just for a moment. I'm not asking for you to step up to a microphone and mention anything, but if you find yourself in a place today where you think you're like, man, that whole weariness and heavy burden that Jesus talked about, that is me. Will you just stand where you are? That's all I'm asking you to do is just stand. If that is you, I'm weary, I'm heavy burden, I'm in need of rest. Just stand where you are. And for you, as you come to a table today to meet with Jesus, I want you to hear this, those of you standing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, what, what it promises is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the promise that we get from Jesus is this. The promise we get in Hebrews 11, 7, 25, it says that Jesus is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So even though Jesus has accomplished everything needed for salvation, Jesus is still hard at work interceding for you, acknowledging the burdens you carry and the weight you carry in life and letting you know you do not have to carry them alone. So y'all can sit down. And I want to ask right now, uh, we're just going to have a few places of prayer. We're, we're going to bring this back. We haven't done this since pre-COVID. I'm going to ask Laura Moore if you'll go to the exit door. Casey, if you'll go to the exit over here up the wall. 
and the two elders, I think, uh, position A, is it Brandon? Brandon, if you'll come up here, and Randy, are you position B today? If you'll go back there. And this is going to be about a six or seven minute moment for us, where for a couple of minutes, you're going to be invited to come to one of our tables to take the bread and the cup. And there'll be a song that plays as you come and you either take communion at the table or take them back to your seat. And then we're going to keep the prayer time open for a few more minutes. Kip and the praise team are going to come and sing a song. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And, and right now around this room, I'm just inviting you to go to one of these people. And the stations you see, I mean, everything from Brandon and we usually have an elder up front. Like, we're not here. I'm going to stand right over here to receive you today as well. And Brandon's not here to be your counselor today. He's here to pray with you. Gacy and Laura aren't here to be your therapist and to fix anything in your life. So I'm just inviting you to go, to go to Randy Frederick, one of the most inviting presences I know in my life, who is so fully present in a moment. And all you have to do is go to one of our friends or come to me and just say, I need you to pray for anxiety or there's a heavy burden in my life or I'm in need of rest. And just let us pray together as a church. And your movement, nobody else needs to know why you move, but your movement becomes a testimony to other people that I am choosing today to take a step in my life to honor Jesus' invitation to come to him to find rest for my soul. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And God, we pray over the next few minutes at the table, through prayer, and through a song that healing will come in this room. And God, I don't know how weary some people may be, but as you invite us to come to you, just let, give us the courage just to take a step, to reach out a hand, surrender our heart. And Jesus, we trust that you're going to do what you say you will do, that you will give rest that maybe we didn't even know we could find. So we pray for the Holy Spirit to move in this room today to bring healing and redemption. And Jesus, without death, burial, and resurrection, none of this is possible. So for all you have done, all you have accomplished, how you intercede for us today, we say thank you from the depths of our hearts. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.